0: All right. Happy Wednesday, everyone, and welcome to a special episode of Learning Tech Talks. Today, I'm not exploring the landscape of learning tech. This is a special episode. I am celebrating 18 months of Tech Talk, and I've got quite an agenda planned. It has also been quite the morning. My internet was out. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to do this today, but you know what? In the spirit of the pivot, I figured it out, and here we are. So I'm looking forward to getting started with this. Um, there's no guest to introduce Because, hey, I've done enough of these that hopefully if you're tuning in, you know who the heck I am uh, and and what we're going to do. So a couple couple items to get through and then I want to jump into it because I have a sneaking suspicion that this is going to take the full time. And my goal is to make this as interactive as possible as I can with you. So I want to answer questions and make sure I allow time for that. So given that, I'm just going to jump right to it. I don't have an icebreaker this morning because, again, you've seen so many episodes. Hopefully you know enough about me. I don't need to do another icebreaker. And I don't have one planned. So even if you wanted one, unless somebody asks a question, I probably don't have one for you. That said, I would love to know who's joining. So if you can, go ahead and comment and share where you are in the world today. I'm in my usual locale. Uh, here we go. And um, while we're while we're getting warmed up, just to give you a couple housekeeping items for things that I want to do to keep this thing interactive, make sure I'm addressing the things that you want to see, um, is one, I have added poll everywhere to take live questions that'll allow you to vote on things like this. So I'm obviously taking questions from the comments, from you know wherever you're tuning in from, whether it's LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, doesn't matter. But if you, if you tag me in things, I will catch those questions. But if you're someone who maybe doesn't want me to pull your question up on screen, or doesn't necessarily think of a question but wants to see what other people are asking, check out the poll everywhere. There's a couple in there that you can upvote and things like that, and I will try and do my best to make sure that I address all of those in the time that we have. The last piece is I know not everyone can make it live. So for those of you who aren't able to make it live and want to continue the conversation or ask follow-up questions after the fact, the community is an active place where people can come ask questions. We've got a lot of dialogue going there. We recently upgraded it to a much better platform so you can sign up for that. And it doesn't matter what your role is in L&D or anything like that. It's just a place where you can come ask questions and, and really we're there for each other. And so that's just community.learningsharks.com. If you're not part of that already, Feel free to join. We were running this in Slack for a while, and now we've migrated over to what I think is a better platform, but it seems to be the feedback from the folks who are there, too. All right, so with that, I'm going to shift gears into this because after 18 months and 95 episodes now, there's been quite a lot uh, that has happened. I did not expect to have a pandemic Happened shortly after, although I think um, you know a lot of the things the pandemic caused were probably on their way anyway. Um, but so one of the things I did do to to get into this, I did prepare some slides, which is very unusual for me because I am not a fan of slides. But I'm just going to keep them up on the side because they really are designed to be more talking points to things than anything else. So um, to give a little bit of context to where we want to go, I want to highlight some of the big things that I just wanna tackle first. I think if, you, if you're if you coming thinking, hey, what's going on in tech? That is absolutely going to be part of the dialogue. I, I think I've had a chance to see some really interesting things. I'm seeing some industry trends I wanna tackle. But I think there's some bigger, more deeply rooted things that we need to talk about first that are going to tie into the tech talk. So hopefully this will be a great conversation. Hopefully you'll walk away with uh, some things that, that make you think a little bit differently. Um, and the first one is this, The first one is this is I would say that when I look back and this will tie, you'll see how this is all going to tie into the tech. I look at 2021 as our last blockbuster moment, which if you have not seen this movie and you were alive in the 90s, you will greatly appreciate the movie. I'm not going to go too far into this because we will run out of time for sure. But it's a movie about Blockbuster's journey and what happened to them and how there's this one Blockbuster left in Bend, Oregon that's that's clinging to life. And, and it's doing okay. Um, so, you know, And what happened with this is... It's not what everybody thought. Everybody thought it was Netflix. And and while Netflix played a big role, it really had to do with late fees and they were in bankruptcy and didn't have the funds to come back into things and all this good stuff. Um, But there's some things that I really want to talk about because as I've been talking to people in the industry, there are still folks that I think in some regards are holding on to the possibilities that we might go back. And anytime I'm in that conversation... I just wanna say my perspective on that is if you're hanging on to wanting to go back or maybe we can hold on to some semblance of things, in, in the words of Mr. Wonderful, I think that's something we need to take behind the shed, right, and and put, put down because it's not going back, but I think some of the things that I'm hearing in those conversations, I would agree with. So So the reason I'm relating this to the Blockbuster, the last Blockbuster moment is, I actually think there's a lot of relatable things to this, because if you watch the movie, okay, if you watch the movie, there are definitely some things that were really great about Blockbuster, which is why it creates this nostalgia effect. There is this, like, man, remember that smell of Blockbuster? Remember going in and and the social experience of, of, you know, seeing other people pick out DVDs? But I'm not going to go through the whole movie. But the point is, there are some things that we're really valuable and meaningful with the way we used to do things. And I don't think that can be, that, that cannot be overlooked. And I think that's one of the things that causes some emotional tension when we talk about things aren't going back, is sometimes that's framed up as what we did before was terrible, and this is the future, and we should dump the past. And that, I would say, is so far from the truth, that, that, I, that I would get very amped up in that. So when I say we need to to move on and graduate from from the way things have been done, that's not to say the way things have been done was bad, inefficient, awful, and, and just forget it and start from scratch. I think there's some really under powerful underlying components that some of the legacy things that we did, we need to carry forward. Now, the part that I think we can't go back to is the way that we always delivered on that. And that's in some of these conversations, I, I see nostalgia creeping in and I see people kind of saying, well, we're just waiting to get through this so that we can go back to what it was before. And and to that, I would say, that's gotta go. That, that just has to go. Um, and, and what's interesting is I was on a conversation, uh, with, with, well, so if you saw a couple of weeks ago, I shared an article about, uh, what, what Pepsi had done with Minecraft. And so yesterday, and I'll actually share a post about it later this week. Yesterday, I had a chance to actually sit down and see this experience. And probably one of the most interesting things about my conversation with him was as I was talking to Marco, I said, so as you look at this, what you were doing before this, this whole disruption, because a big part of the reason they disrupted this was with the virtual, the digital pivot, they couldn't run their week long class just doing back to back zoom sessions. It just wasn't effective. And so they said, we had to change. We had to change, which many of us did in 2020. We, we just had to change. There was no choice. And so they went big. They said, let's make this change. Let's, let's go for this. And so as we're talking about this, I said, curious your take on it. But as you look at this, do you think this pushed you to something better than what you had before? And his response actually really fascinated me because what his response was, and and I'm summarizing, so Marco, if you watch this, don't quote me on it because I'm sure I'm butchering it. But his, his response was essentially, it really doesn't matter. Because the bottom line is, this is the path forward. And... We can't go back. There is no going back. So are there things we can take from from what we did? Maybe we might try and but the bottom line is there's no point in even sitting here thinking about well, you know, is this better or worse? Or, you know, would we ever shift back to it? Because the bottom line is we're not. We're just not. And so this is the path forward, and all we can do is grow and iterate and get better at what we're doing in, in this space now, which I thought was fantastic because it was. It was a conversation of someone who understood that Blockbuster moment happened. It is what it is. And just like with Blockbuster, while you may have some nostalgia and while there may be the Bend, Oregon shop that is still open and and still thriving, it's not thriving, actually. It's surviving. But every day that passes, they're waiting to hear is their lease going to be renewed. They're wondering if this is going to be the week that eventually things kind of fall apart. And so when you think about it in that sense, can you survive holding on to what things were before? Maybe, maybe you'll be one of the unicorns that, that makes it, but you're always on the brink of something, some new leadership, somebody, the, the leader who's holding on to it. You're, you're just always on the brink of collapse. And I think that's not a great place to live. And so that's why when I look at Blockbuster... Well there's some nostalgia while well, there's some things well they might be making it if somebody came to me and said I've got this great business idea I'm thinking I'm going to open a video store I would say I think you might want to rethink that I think you might want to rethink that a little bit I don't know that that's going to make it and if they said well but look at but look at Bend Oregon Blockbuster there is is making it I would say mm, I th- I think you're missing the forest through the trees on this so that that's, that's kind of fleshing out the analogy between this and kind of the why, and, and I would recommend watching it if you spent any time in the 90s because it was a fascinating movie. But anyway, so that's my take on this is that before anything, if you are not in a state of, hey, it is what it is, what we did in the past is what's in the past, there are lessons we can learn from it, there are valuable things that we can take from it, but it's gone it's gone, it's not coming back, we just need to move on and iterate forward, I would implore you to do so because I think while you may make it, while you might survive, while you might be able to say, oh, well, you know, here's an example of where this is still working, I would say, but is it thriving? And I think in this new world that we're walking into, we have an opportunity to thrive. And I think anybody in our field Well, anybody in general, forget L and D. I think you're gonna be a lot happier thriving than than surviving. And I think we have an opportunity now to say we we have all the reason now to thrive and and all the reason not to just move back to survival. And and I would encourage you to do so. Um, so. With that, boss, good question. So, so good question with this one. Boss asks, has the Netflix of online learning been created yet, or do we need a radically different solution? Great question and great timing with the blockbuster analogy going here. You know, personally, I don't think we want the Netflix of online learning, even if we could create it. So I know that's a term that's been thrown around. I don't really know that, you know, we need the better mousetrap. I don't know that getting people to binge consume content is really where we want to go anyway and you know i so to your question do we need a radically different solution we do but i don't think we need it i think it exists and i think that's one of the things that i'm going to talk about as we continue going through this is that there are things out there now that are radically disruptive Uh, They exist, and they may not necessarily be the big ones that you're hearing about in all the different news, but that's one of the things that's been fantastic about what I've done with Learning Tech Talks and spending time with companies from all walks, from all different areas of learning and development, from all different focus areas, all different kinds of technologies, is it's been fascinating to see that there is some incredible disruptive Innovation happening in our space, and so that's that's another thing. Going back to this, this is our last blockbuster moment. If you're looking at that, going the future is grim. You know, I don't know that I like this new future. I would challenge that and say the future is bright. The future is exciting, and what we can do now is incredible. And this and this is changing. And this is one of the things that's fascinating to watch. In 18 months, I have watched technology move at a pace that I didn't think was possible. Just to give an example, there was one prediction that I made at the I think the 12-month mark. Or maybe it was yeah, I hit my 12 months in October of last year and I said, well, "Here's a gap that I have not seen grow yet." Is it was in the analytics space. And by January when I did my follow-up episode, it was already starting to emerge. So some of these things that we may say, "Man, wouldn't it be great if?" or I feel like there's still gaps here. Yes, there are, but it's moving. And this is one of the things that's been fascinating about this is that, you know, this is, this is moving at a pace that is, is nearly impossible to keep up with. So with that, so let me, let's move past the blockbuster moment, because again, really what I was trying to do with this is just set the stage of, if you are out there holding on to your blockbuster moment, let it go, let it go. Let it be a thing of nostalgia. Let it be something that you know, survive somewhere else and and move into the Netflix age, uh, if you will, and and not the Netflix of learning age, but the disruptive space uh, piece. And you know what, I could keep going on this. All right. So with that, let me move to the next piece with this, because now I want to talk to folks who may have said, maybe you're not in that category. Hopefully, if you're in the, the blockbuster nostalgia category, you've now said, you know what, maybe it's time to let it go. Good. If you have, or if you're in the category of we've accepted that reality. We're now moving forward. We're looking at how to move forward. Uh, The other kind of underlying thing that I wanna tackle with this is a trend that I'm seeing happening that I don't think needs to happen. And this isn't specifically to the tech, but it, it kind of is, but I think sometimes I would say the practitioners actually are controlling this more than the tech companies. This whole movement towards performance I think is great that said I think we we're, we're again in some regards there's there's some missing the forest through the trees on this and that there's a lot of debate I, I saw a recent article and I don't even remember exactly where I think it was Forbes it was something but it was talking about thank goodness we're moving away from skills and focusing on performance and I thought what it, it is not a it is not a either or type of situation and so that's what i mean when i say performance being performance minded is not a pendulum being performance minded is not a a journey that you're on in terms of okay well we used to be and and let me blow this up a little bit so you can see it a little better here it is not a, well, we used to be an employee well-being. We used to do kind of a, a thing that made people feel good about learning and things like this. And and now we've graduated to focusing on skills and, and eventually we're going to move forward and, and then we're really going to drive it towards workplace performance. If you're thinking about it that way, I, I'm just going to, and again, this is my take on it, but I think this is another one that needs to just go out behind the shed because the reality is it's not this pendulum journey. It's not an either-or type of situation where you where you have to choose between, well, do I care about the well-being of our employees or do I care about skills or have I really reached the nirvana where now I'm actually impacting workplace performance? Workplace performance is a mindset and a destination that then is going to get applied completely differently. And I think this will then tie back to What you're going to see in the tech space, which is you can impact workplace performance in all of these areas. It's a matter of priority and what are the gaps or the needs of your business. And I think this is why I say practitioners, we have the opportunity to influence this more than anything tech's not going to influence this it's us in our decision making it's the choices we make it's what's going on in our businesses and looking at a okay what are we trying to achieve here because the reality is if you saw my conversation now let me flip back to this so I'm not so tiny if you saw my conversation with Maya and BetterUp just as an example employee well-being impacts workplace performance So, some of the things that we saw, going back to the Blockbuster analogy, some of the things we used to do in terms of, hey, you know what? Buddy, go talk to mom. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. So, if you... I can't talk, buddy. I'm in a meeting. Yes, you may. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. So, if we go back to this, the Blockbuster piece, where was I going with this? Oh, right. Mm, Lost it. Oh, no, no, no. Okay. So, some of these things we used to do... Some of these things we used to do actually did positively impact employee well-being. So if you look at some of these leadership programs that we may have had, there was something about it made you feel good to be part of this. It made you feel good to go do this. Could we quantifiably tie it back to workplace performance and say this quantifiably changed behavior and yada, yada, yada? Maybe not. Maybe not. But to a degree, that might have been okay because if you look at the data, employee well-being impacts their workplace performance. So them being engaged, believing in what they're doing, feeling like they're contributing, feeling like they're recognized that actually does impact their performance. Now where we get this off target is when that's all we focus on. And so that's where when I say it's not a pendulum, the risk that I'm seeing, the risk that I'm seeing is that there's this like shift to, well, we need to focus on performance and that means we need to abandon everything else. No, no, we don't. And I think that's going to leave us having just different problems, different problems that we're going to have to solve later. If all of a sudden we just go to, we don't do anything if we can't quantifiably tie it to their job performance, we're going to have some really miserable, unhappy people who are not going to be doing great work. And so while we might be greasing the skids and improving their ability to complete a task or improve a process, you're going to be pushing miserable people performing at 60% efficiency through that process and have you really solved the problem? To that, I would say no. And so I think this is where we have to say, it's not, well, to your point, David, it's not all or nothing. It's about this constant balancing act of what are the most important things that we need to achieve right now. And as we look at that, we then need to go back and prioritize. And this is where the beauty of the technology is coming into play, is the fact that you don't have to choose either or. And in fact, with automation, with some of the capabilities of some of the tech, you really don't have to choose either or because you might be able to achieve multiples with all of this. And I think this is going to get to some of the, how how do we need to look at tech? So so I want to talk about that a little bit. And just to highlight this point of, employee well-being because I think this is a risk right now that that we are that we are missing out on. I think 2020 gave a name to it. So if you haven't seen the article by Adam Grant on languishing or you haven't watched my conversation with Maya from Better Up, this is real. Languishing is real. It's this weird middle ground of, of employee well-being and, and mental health that is is you're not you're not awful but you're also not succeeding you're just blah you're just checking the box you're just moving through the day which unfortunately gets overlooked now the thing is like when i say this isn't new we just gave it a different name if you look at employee engagement we've been looking at this forever going ah oh, like why do we have all these employees in the middle of this that they're just they're not engaged and we know this is tied to this well now we have this word for it this languishing word there's they're, they're languishing 2020 accelerated this big time because now, and this is going to get to kind of the workforce categories that I'm going to move into next. We've got a lot of people out there that just are having a hard time making it through the day. And so now this is why going back to my previous slide of we need to be really careful we don't swing the pendulum right now is that we have this opportunity. The industry has been moving towards, hey, we need to move more towards this performance mindset. How are we focused more on impacting business performance? All these different things. If we swing too far on this and fail to recognize that languishing is crushing our workforce right now, we're going to have a colossal miss, a colossal miss. And so that's where my push right now is to say, leverage tech to help you balance this and also just in your strategy yes if all you were doing before was running feel good things and and programs you couldn't really quantify and things like that okay it's time to move it's time to move if you haven't already or or really push it but don't do it at the expense that you completely abandon the well-being of the workforce because all you care about now is what their skill set is. Can you measure their skills? Can we impact workplace performance? And now they're people and they're struggling right now. And so I think this is one of the things that going back to this balancing act, I don't have an answer. So if you're, quite, you know, if one of the questions came through is, so what should our priorities be? My answer to you would be, I don't know. I mean, maybe we have a conversation post or you join the community post and we talk about it further. But my question would be, I don't know, because I don't know where your organization is right now. What is the health of your organization? There are organizations that are crushing it in this languishing thing. I've talked to some organizations that have made the digital pivot seamlessly or were already there. And so from an engagement, their employees feeling good, things like that, this isn't their biggest problem. I have other organizations that I've talked to that have moved from this model to this completely different world that they were not prepared for and have a workforce that is dying working from home just going, I can't do this. Like I haven't done this in 20 years and now I've been thrust into this. I don't even want to get out of bed in the morning. If that's where you are, this is going to be a bigger priority for you than if you're an organization that seamlessly made the digital pivot, everybody's working remotely fine, you've got your collaboration, you've made that shift and you really need to focus on the performance metrics. That's why I say we just need to be careful and work in this constant balancing act of this while finding the triage of what we need to do based on what's really going on. But going back to this earlier point, this performance mindset is at the center of all of that it's not one or the other or one of these other pieces so okay i could talk about this for way too long and then we're going to run out of time so i'm going to switch gears but but again i think if you're if you're not familiar with what's going on with languishing check out the better up episode read the article by adam grant i think it will give you some words and some understanding of, of what this is which to me, not new, ties back to employee engagement. We've been battling this for a long time, but I think we've really just seen this accelerated, which is largely due, from my take, to some of these challenges. Now, this originally came up from a conversation I was having with J.D. Dillon in terms of how we're thinking about, as because now we're all talking about priorities. How are we prioritizing? Uh, you know, How are we thinking about these different priorities? How do we make decisions around this? Who are we serving? Different things like that. And as JD and I were talking about this, we started talking about the emergence. They weren't, it's not really emerging even. They just have become more solidified in the real differences in workforce categories. So there's four of them. And of course, I had to put it in a grid because everybody loves grids type of thing. So we can talk about what this is. But I do think that this emergence and solidification of these workforce categories is an important one to tackle because. Again, depending on what you're trying to achieve, it's going to change the way you think about, hey, are we talking about employee well-being? Are we talking about developing skills? Are we talking about performance enablement and efficiencies? Where where do we need to fall in that iron triangle of prioritization? Well, some of that's going to be driven by the challenges of the workforce categories that you're tackling. And so when we look at this piece, I'll blow this up a little bit. As I look at this, These four have existed, but they have different challenges that they face. And this was only accelerated by 2020. So it was already there. It's just, I think in many regards, the bottom category was often overlooked by organizations. So let me break down the four so you can kind of see, and hopefully you can see my blue dot here. So up in the top quadrant, what I'm talking about here is these are your corporate employees' That are working from some sort of workplace location. They're co-located. There's something going on where they're, where they're they're in the building. So I'll go through the categories first, and then I'll then I'll break down kind of the challenges that we have with this that I think is going to help you shape your priorities and your strategy behind this. You've got these folks that were in the office, they're in a building, and they're part of the corporate organization. So it's it's got its own category of things, and there's different ways you approach it. There's different categories for tackling this audience of the workforce on the other side over here we've still got this co-location that's going on we've still got people who are in a location but they're separated from from corporate and we've got the frontline workers and so if you look this is why the conversation was appropriate with jd and i and what Exonify is doing because they're so focused on frontline workers because that is a different category of the workforce the way you reach them the way you strategize around that the way you handle that it's got to have a slightly different bend. What works for the corporate audience may not always work well for the front line audience. Does it mean there's no synergy between it and I got to throw some fun corporate buzzwords in here? No, that's not what I'm saying. But it does mean that there's a bit of a different categorization of this. Now, they present it presents its own challenges. Where I think we've seen a lot greater attention was to the bottom half of this grid, which In many regards for a lot of companies has been ignored for a long time and this is the remote workforce now I put these originally I thought and as JD and I were talking about this these really fell into three there was the remote workforce there was the frontline workers and then there was the the corporate workers and I said I actually the more I thought about it the more time I spent reflecting on this I'm like there's actually kind of two there's kind of two even in the remote workforce, because there are remote frontline workers out there. Yeah, And a good example of this would be, you may have a sales force, a lot of organizations I've worked for, we have, we have remote sales forces that are out there, that they are right in front of the customer, they're, they're doing this, but they are disconnected from the cohort, the cohesiveness of that workplace culture that's going on. Then you've got your corporate remote employees, which is the category of people that just exploded in 2020, which is why what you're going to see from a challenges standpoint, this whole connection to the customer, which existed in the corporate side of things, was rapidly accelerated because now we added this connection to workplace culture and colleagues. So as people suddenly got thrown into the remote workspace, they suddenly were struggling with the fact of, okay, How do I now connect with my colleagues? How do I connect to the culture? I feel like I'm on an island now. And going back to the contribution of this whole languishing thing, this is one of the challenges that we're dealing with now, is that now they're struggling with this. And it's in many regards a consequence of the lack of connectedness to the workplace culture and their colleagues and the customer. So that's why in this bottom left quadrant left yeah left quadrant we've got some new problems that we're trying to tackle and as we look at the prioritization of this this goes back to there are some things that we can be doing to hopefully help improve this for this categorization of of workers now does this mean we focus all our attention here no because again People are starting, I don't know about everybody else, but I'm in conversations here. I'm in conversations with other organizations. They are starting to talk about their back to the office strategy. What does that look like? Who's coming back? Will they come back? If they do come back, what does that look like? And so Now we're going to start to see some of the problems that we saw in quadrant one up in the top left start to come back in as people start moving back. The, The connectedness to the workplace culture and colleagues is in some regards going to be mitigated as people start coming back. But we're going to be now dealing with this whole flexibility and empowered workforce because now people are dealing with that. So there's just different problems that people are going to be dealing with depending on where their workforce is. And I think the point that I'm trying to make with all of this, if it's not clear, is that having this organization of, okay, we talked a little bit about before, hey, are we trying to tackle well-being? Are we trying to tackle skills? Are we trying to tackle... Performance enable like what are we trying to do there? Then the next step it's not necessarily this is not always linear, but mix in with that Who in the workforce are we trying to tackle this for because depending on that? This is going to lead to the tech piece of well You may need to make different decisions about the technology depending on the category of the workforce that you're looking at if everybody's in the office The whole connectedness to the workplace culture and colleagues may not be as big of a priority for you if everybody's coming back. If everybody's staying remote or a large majority is staying remote, then that is going to remain a problem. And the flexibility is going to be less of a challenge, but you may have to look at some different things. So these are all different variables in the equation. And my goal with this is to hopefully give some context to, as I've been looking at how the workplace technology is starting to fall out uh, in terms of different things, I'm seeing it starting to line up with these different components. And depending on the problem you're trying to solve, the audience you're trying to hit, if you're thinking, well, how do we make our, as an example, how do we make our LMS work for all of this? You won't. You probably won't. Unless uh, that's a conversation for the community later. But chances are you probably won't. Now, then that leads to, okay, so then what do I do about this? And this is going to move to the next point with this that I, I see as an emerging challenge that we have. On the practitioner side, I think even the tech companies are struggling with this. So we've got, we've got these different challenges we're trying to face. We've got these different categorization of work, workers that have their own unique challenges that we're trying to stack. Now, stack on top of it, from a technology standpoint, we are we are very much stuck in this age of categories what is the category of the technology and i'll and i'll give a little bit of insight into something that i want i'm going to be working on here soon to hopefully help break this down but this is this is crushing us it's it's challenging for the tech industry i've got lots of people i talk to over there this is not always easy for them because they're sitting there going well where do we fit in the big market categories are we an LMS are we an LXP are we a you know are we a frontline worker solution are we like where, where do we sit and this is difficult then on the practitioner side it's crushing us because we're saying well i have an LMS do i need an LXP well i don't know what does your LMS do and so one of the things that i think is going to be really critical as we let the blockbuster moment go we move into the netflix age is that as we start looking at technology, we need to move away from assessing categories and starting to look at capabilities. Now there is work to be done on both ends of this from practitioners and the tech side of things, because I will say it's, it's an opportunity on the tech side to say it is very difficult sometimes to get into the, so what does your product do specifically? I'm not talking about what category does it fall into I'm not talking about as a general summary of things what can it do I'm talking about specifically does it have these specific capabilities can it do this can it do that and and this is just a high-level breakout of just some of the big categories or not categories capabilities that when I've started to look at tech I've started to put these things into things and say okay if I were to, and I'm not going to mention names, but if I were to pull up this, this tech, these boxes would light up. It may be an LXP, it may be an LMS, it may be a hybrid in between, but from a capability standpoint, this, this is how the board would light up with this. And I think as we start digging into this, one, I think there's there's a push for us to be able to have more visibility and transparency into what are the capabilities but on the practitioner side, that also means we need to take some time and actually dig into this. It means we also need to up our digital acumen in terms of being able to assess this kind of stuff because not all capabilities are created equal. Just as a high level, if you were to say content distribution, how well does a product distribute content? Well, lots of, lots of learning tech out there is a content distributor. It pushes content out to people in different ways. But not all of that is made equal because you have to start digging in and start unpeeling. Well, where is it distributing it to? Does it integrate into Teams? Does it integrate into Slack? Is it another portal that people have to go to to try and do this type of thing? You know, how, is it, how is it automating distribution? Is it making predictive analytics on what people need? Is it just doing it based on tagging and metadata? There is a lot to unpack within these capabilities that cannot be assessed at a category level. Now, if listening to that makes your head spin and you go, "Good grief," I, I, how are we going to get to that point? I don't have I don't have the silver bullet solution at this point. Uh, there are some things that I'm in the process of working on right now. One is to try and create better visibility into these things. So I have a lot of conversations with tech companies to say, hey, at a high level, what do you do? What's the vision? What's the strategy? What big problems are you trying to solve? I'm looking to take this to the next level and say, how do we actually give practitioners visibility into, and you're still going to have to do your homework. So let me just let me just be very clear. And I think that's true no matter what anybody says, when anybody comes out with, you know, if you're hoping there's a XYZ grid or XYZ top whatever list that's just going to do your job for you. The answer is it's not. There's there's hard work that's going to be have to be put in by by anybody on the practitioner side, and this is why you know if you need help, call in for help. Call in for backup because this is new territory. That said, I think there's opportunity for us to say how are we actually assessing and providing greater visibility. Into some of these tech companies so that we can make informed decisions and we can do more of an apples to apple comparison Because I can tell you I am steeped in this stuff and sometimes I look at the industry grids or I look at the industry comparisons and I go How are these two platforms being compared right now? I get there in the same category but capability wise they they're not even in the same playing field. And so if somebody's trying to make a decision between X product and Y product and they're just looking at LMSs, you it's you're not you don't have the information that you need. Now you may say, "Well, good grief, I can't do an RFP on every single learning platform that exists out there." I would say, "Yes, you're 100% right, which is why the goal of kind of where I'm going with this is to say, so what is that middle ground? What gives you visibility into what capabilities does a platform have so you can do more of an apples to apples comparison and not just get stuck in this okay we need an lxp do you you know how are you comparing all these different lxps you know linkedin came on the market does that mean that linkedin is the same as degreed and edcast and thrive and the list goes on no I mean, having looked at all of them, I can tell you they're they're not all created equal. They all have their own different capabilities, strengths, and weaknesses. And again, depending on what you're trying to do as an organization, there's going to be a different fit. And I think that's where the work on us as practitioners is to go beneath the surface and say, what are we really trying to achieve from a capability standpoint? And not ask the question, do we need an LMS, but say, what are we trying to do? And does an LMS fit that need? And if so, which one fits that need? To the best of its ability so more to come on that Um, but again I think kind of from this advocacy standpoint I think there's room on both sides of the fence for us to do a better job hopefully some of the things that I have planned will help with this help influence this hopefully for for anybody watching or listening you know if you have input on things on how to better get you to this point because the reality is I recognize and I have enough conversations with practitioners across the board this is not easy. This is not easy. For many people, this is not your comfort zone. And I get it. I get it. This is, this is not a place you necessarily like to be. It's not something that you necessarily want to be spending all your time, but it is, it is the new age of what we do. And so now it's a matter of saying, okay, so if this is the new age, how do we dive into it? And my goal in all of this is to say, how can I make it easier? So any input along the way, I'm happy to take um, and, and continue going there. So the final piece, and then I want to move over to any q and I'll answer some of the questions that have come in, which, by the way, let me just pull this up. Um, if you haven't asked a question in the comments or you don't want to ask in the comments because you saw me pull bosses up on the screen and you go, good grief, I do not want Christopher to pull my name up on the screen <laughs> and you would like to remain more anonymous, you can go to polev.com slash sharks. 000. And I have a poll active right now, so you can ask your questions or upvote other questions. I am going to dedicate some time to answer some questions on this at the end. But before I do the last piece, because hey, I've done 18 months of tech talks. And so, what are some of the key capabilities that I'm seeing rise to the top right now? Now, I want to be very careful how I frame this, because does this mean, please do not take key capabilities to consider to mean. I watched this episode and Christopher said we should all go out and be prioritizing these six things in our thing. If you haven't been following the whole message or you came in late, do not do that. Please do not do that. There are a lot of things to consider in terms of what problems you're trying to solve, what capabilities do we need to solve those, who is the audience that we're trying to solve them for that are going to get you to this point. That said, in the last 18 months of just steeping myself in learning tech and continuing to do that. There are some capabilities that I think should at least be on your consideration list. Doesn't mean you should be implementing them, but may mean if I'm not aware or I haven't dug into this, I may want to spend a little bit more time on understanding what's possible here. Because two bosses question earlier of, should we just be looking for the Netflix of learning? No. In fact, I think technology has taken us to a place where we can go far beyond that. So let me pull this up a little bit here so you can see what it is and let me walk you through um <laughs> yeah thoughts. <boss>. I knew you wouldn't be embarrassed that I pulled you up I'm just saying other people might have seen that I pulled you up and went I that's uh, that can't be me that can't be me I I can't do that so anyway so the first one is this employee well-being and w- when I talk about this this is an e I don't want to say it's an emerging category of tech tech but it's one that's gotten a lot more attention and a lot more press for in my opinion a lot of good reasons going back to the whole languishing conversation many of the people in our workforce are struggling right now and as a result there is a need for technology to span beyond just how do you get better at your job how do we build the skills you need to do your job? How do we make sure you're doing your job as efficiently and effectively as possible? And sometimes just saying, what do you need? What do you need to come into work and be the best version of you that you can be? And this is this, what can be perceived as a squishy category of, oh, I don't know how I feel about that. And I will say, if, you're, if you've steered away from this because you're concerned you're going to get thumped by a business leader when you bring this up in a conversation, I would say the appetite for employee well-being is probably at a higher level than it ever has been before. Uh, as the data is coming out, as organizations are recognizing how much of their workforce is languishing, languishing, not languaging, languishing, languishing. Um, I would say there's, there's much more of an appetite to say, talk to me about this. Now, this doesn't mean we don't have to do our due diligence. This doesn't mean we don't have to assess what problem we're trying to solve. Who is the audience we're trying to solve it for? What are they dealing with? What capabilities do we need? No, that exercise still has to happen. But if you can do that and come in and say, we may not necessarily be able to directly quantify this today. But we know this is a problem in the organization and we think if we can help our employees, it's ultimately going to help our business. I would say I've been in more conversations where that is not met with eye rolls and raised eyebrows and more of a, let's hear what you have to say on this. So. This is a category of tech. You're, you're seeing this in coaching. You're seeing this in some of these personalized, um, you know, there's there's a tech I had on that was, you know, how do we empower employees to make decisions on what do they want to invest their time and money in on development, um, things like that. So there, there's a category of this that I would say is starting to grow and, and emerge that is something worth considering, at least as you're looking into it. System adoption and enablement is one that, I still do not feel is getting the attention that it, it should be getting. Um, systems, especially as people moved into remote work, are crushing the workforce. It is crushing the workforce. The number of platforms they're having to deal with, the number of new platforms that are being spun up, the number of new things that are being thrown at them, the number of systems that they're having to go into to do their job, it is, it is overwhelming for a large portion of the workforce. And while we may say, well, that's not really our problem, it is our problem. Because going back to if our workforce doesn't have time or capacity to grow, to develop, they're going to languish, they're not going to get their job done, all the skill efforts that we can possibly throw at them are not gonna do a thing. And so as we look at system adoption and enablement, there's there's tremendous opportunity for us to lean in and this tech has come a long way so i've spent a fair amount of time digging into the actual capabilities of this tech and if this is something you may be glanced at see the first system adoption platform i started looking at was i don't know maybe close to 10 years ago if you're if you're thinking about that take a look at it take a look at what the possibilities are does it mean you have to own it possibly not depending on how you're structured it may be something that you're able to negotiate or bring in as an enterprise solution type of a thing but this should be something that's part of the conversation because we've seen from pretty much every industry report one of people's biggest challenges with their development is they don't have time well what better way to give people back time than to pull them out of the systems that are crushing them frustrating them and all these other things so again should everybody go buy a DAP that nah, maybe <laughs> does it but does it mean everybody should be owning it no you know i need to be really careful because i know some people will take that seriously but you should be seriously considering it as part of your digital strategy of how are we enabling system adoption and performance because systems is a huge percentage of the time our workforce is spending on anything another one that has come a long way that you know it, a lot of things out there, and this goes back to watch category versus capability. And again, I, I'm, I've got some things coming out that I think are going to help people differentiate between this. There are a lot of platforms out there claiming skill development. There are a lot of things saying we're, we're an upskilling platform. We're an upskilling this and that. Not all skill development is created equal. So be careful when you dig into this. But what I can tell you, going from the future is bright, there is a lot of fantastic stuff happening in the skill development space. So if you're truly trying to say, we know we are trying to grow this skill or we are trying to develop this skill in our workforce and we need to do it in a measurable, impactful way that we can quantify, that we can then go back and justify and say, hey, we we set out to do this, we did it, and we have the data to prove it, that exists today that exists today but you're going to have to dig beneath the surface because if you just take things at surface level or you just take marketing categories as oh this is a skill development platform so therefore I will get this you will be left you will be you'll be left languishing on that one so that's the only caution i give with that is being careful, being careful that we don't, um, that you don't jump into that. And, um, you know, just, just blindly and think, well, because I'm pursuing skill development, all skill development is created equal. Um, so Michael, great, great point of clarification before I move on here about the system adoption and enable, I threw DAP digital adoption platform around as though everybody is on the same page with this one. Um, Michael's comment on this in terms of a layer of integration on top of these other softwares that guides users, provides support, these kinds of things. If you haven't, if you're not familiar with it, I have had a conversation with WhatFix and WalkMe, which are both very insightful conversations into what the tech is. Check them out, not advocating for one or the other or trying to push that, but just trying to say if you're trying to understand what DAP, digital adoption technology, is and can do, Those are great episodes to get some of that insight. Okay, so the other one is workforce connection and collaboration. This may feel a bit outside of our realm. We may say, "Ah, I don't know. I don't know how this really relates to us. Is workforce connection and collaboration really our place to sit? And I'm not saying it necessarily is ours to own, but it's certainly ours to influence, and it absolutely impacts the work that we're doing. And so this goes back to, if we think back to the workforce categorization standpoint, we have a lot more of our workforce now that feels disconnected from the company. It feels disconnected from their colleagues. They feel like they're out on an island. And so if that's a big portion of the market that you're dealing with, that's a big portion of your audience, you have to be considering some of these tools that may start to blur the lines between learning technology and workplace technology which by the way is a line that I would say is rapidly blurring anyway so even saying learning tech talks is all about learning tech I would say I don't even know that that's a line that we can really say exists anymore I would say the line is almost one and of the same but this is going to be a category of things that you know is something to be considering how are we actually looking at building connection interconnectivity I'm not going to say social learning because then that creates a whole new category, but that's what we're talking about. How are we connecting? How are we connecting the workforce in this new world of things? Digital and immersive experience. I'm not talking about everybody running out and buying an Oculus Quest 2. Okay, might there be opportunity for that? Yes. Is it something you should be more familiar with in terms of the possibilities? Yes, because I will say right now, and I get into a fair amount of debates about this with folks that, hey, you know, I, I just don't know that I see it. You need to, you need to at least understand it and understand what the possibilities are, because there are a lot of challenges that are only going to accelerate as we move into the Netflix age that, and that goes back to the blockbuster analogy, but that, that immersive tech can solve even in terms of of performance enablement and things like that. So again, does everybody need to run out and throw VR or AR or immersive tech at the top of their priority list? No. Is there tremendous opportunity as an industry for certain organizations, certain leaders in the org to definitely bump that from not on the list to the top of the list? It absolutely is. And I think it's something that as practitioners, we need to be spending more time Thinking, understanding the possibilities, exploring this because the other thing is this is way more accessible than it's ever been before. And I and I had a conversation with uh, who was it? James Watson, I think, where we were talking about this. There's a lot of things that this industry has created that have made us think this is too far out, it's out of reach, things like that. And it's not. And so I think that's where I'm not pushing everybody to make this a priority. But I am encouraging people to go out and say, you should know what's possible. You should know what you can do so that you can make some decisions and not be making decisions off misinformation or information that was outdated two, three years ago because you think it's not possible. And then the last one is analytics and insights. Uh, This is one of the ones that when I hit the year mark, I said, I'm still not seeing enough coming out of tech for this in terms of informing our decisions. All the tech out there is capturing a lot of data, but is it necessarily putting it to work? No, it's not, and this goes back to is all capability created equal? A lot of platforms will tell you, "Hey, we've got an analytics, we've got an analytics and dashboards capability." Great. But are they all created equal? They're not. And I think this this is where we're going to start to see machine learning really start to augment our decision-making and where we have opportunity to really say how are we we're now getting all this data what are we doing with it and are we leaning into the capabilities of predictive analytics and you know automation on some of our decision making does that mean we walk out and we we relegate our responsibilities no but i think it's definitely a capability that we can consider okay so five minutes left four minutes left i'm going to shift over to q a time Uh, So you can either you can either put it in in the uh, you can either put it in and poll everywhere. I have a couple questions that I've seen come through the chat and I have a couple out there that I'm going to try and answer rapid fire um, as we go through this. So with that, let me take a look here. So one of the ones that just came out is or that, that came that was that was upvoted was there's a lot of variation in how far organizations are in their digital learning journeys. Okay, going back to probably what we were talking about before, we all got hit with this in 2020 it affected us all differently, and we're all at different places. At this point, what should be the expectation? Like, where should we be as an organization? This is probably one of the most common questions I get. I get asked a lot, how far along should we be? Like, where should we be at? Are, are we far enough along for um, the rest of the industry? I'm always really hesitant to answer this question because the reality is not... Where should you be? Because everybody's going to be at a different point in their journey right now, depending on your organization, depending on how you were affected by 2020, depending on the maturity of your team, the skills of your team. The biggest thing is, is that you're moving forward. Okay, so this goes way back to what I said in the beginning. If you're still holding on to Blockbuster opening back up on every corner, that's where I would say you're off you you're, you're off target and and you aren't where you need to be. Now, if you're not on that target and you are saying we we have a path forward, we know we can't go back, we need to chart a path forward, I would say you are where you need to be. Uh, now, now if you're sitting here trying to compete and say, well, you know, where do we need to be? Are we competitive with the front runners in the industry? Well, that's that's probably less of a are you where you need to be and more of a how do we rank? You know, are we going to end up on some article for an award that we win that I could get into on a personal level and again I'd have to understand your situation to really be able to rank you um, but to be able to say are we where we need to be on our journey my answer would be do you have a plan forward do you have a clear plan have you said so where do you need to be by now you need to be at a point and I think this would be the standard that I would set for anybody by now you need to be at a point where you've said we know we're not going back and we are fundamentally, We're changing everything that we've ever done before. We're rethinking the entire operation. That means the skills of my teams. That means the tech that we have in our ecosystem. That means every program that we have. That means the way we manage relationships with our stakeholders. It's all on the table. Now, does that mean you're going to change that all at once? No, because it's a constant prioritization exercise. But being at the point where you recognize we need to rethink the whole thing is step one and having that priorities laid out and saying, and this is where we think we're gonna go from a visionary standpoint and some logical next steps. I think that's where everyone should be right now. Now, is everybody gonna have the same answer to those? No, you're not. And are other people going to be further along than you than that? Yep, they are. Some people are gonna be way ahead of you if you're comparing it that way, and that's okay. And I think that's totally fine. So long as you have a plan and you're staying connected, I think this goes back to, you know, why did I start the community? Why do I do so much stuff for our industry? We need to be talking to vendors. We need to be talking to other practitioners in the community so we can be benchmarking, so we can see how we're doing. Because if you build that strategy and plan and all you're doing is comparing yourself to yourself, you're going to look great. But you probably won't be. So I think that's the biggest thing is that you, you've you accepted the reality that we have, you've laid out a plan, it's a clear plan for where you want to go in the next three to five years, and you have some actionable steps behind it, and you have some things in place that are going to hold you accountable and keep you connected into what's going on with the industry, because there's going to be things you're going to say you're going to do in the next three to five years that you're going to have to pivot on, and that's fine, but you need to make sure you're making those decisions based on the information that you, you know, based on actual industry, things like that. Okay, so that was a very quick thing. Um, some best ways to judge a tool or platform, and then I'm going to close this out here. This is the last question I've got here, is what are some of the best ways to judge a tool or platform if it's been successful? My answer to that is this. If you're implementing a tool or platform and you don't know how you're going to measure whether it's successful or not, don't implement it. Stop Stop what you're doing now. Like now, if you're watching this right now and you're about to implement a tool and you haven't figured out how you're going to measure whether it's been successful, pull the plug. Um, because that's, I think, one of the biggest fundamental challenges I see happen in our space is we implement things and then we back into, did it work? or not. Instead of saying, this is what we're trying to do. This is how we'll know whether we got what we wanted to, and here's how we're going to trend, whether we're on track to do that. At which point now we can implement the solution and move towards that. So I think I would actually reverse that question. And instead of saying, you know, what are the best ways to judge whether it's successful? I would say, go back to the drawing board and say, what are the capabilities we're trying to do? We need, How do we know that that's solving a problem for us and what are the steps along the way? Now, do I have a universal playbook for that? No, and this is where I spend time talking to people about, hey, if you need help like figuring out what your measures are, that's a different conversation. If you're saying, we're trying to solve this, we're trying to get here, can you help with that? That's a different conversation. I would encourage you to have that with with me or someone else in the industry, join the community, things like that. So, with that, all right, let me let me turn all this stuff off. I know I went over. I'm over a couple minutes, but thanks, everybody, for sticking around. Um, hopefully, this was helpful. I will be sharing the link to the presentation. Um, this will be a live replay that will be up for everybody after the fact. Hopefully, this was helpful for you. If you have follow-up questions, you know how to find me. You can always reach out. You can you can message me on LinkedIn or in the community or send me an email, uh, whatever works best. Um, but thanks, everybody, for being here. Uh, have a wonderful day. Like I said, the future is bright for where we're going. There's just, it's just going to take us taking hold of that. So I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your Wednesday, a wonderful rest of your week and have, uh, we'll see you. We'll see you next week. Have a good one.